Welcome, family, to the first ever Revivalist for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and I am excited to have you join our conversation today. Every Thursday, I will be joined by a fellow brother or sister in Christ as we dive into the Word of God and address the issues facing the 21st century Christian. Like the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, His Spirit will be there, and I want to make sure that I'm fostering an environment that welcomes a conversation that can be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, Revitalist for Christ is much more than a podcast. It's a whole movement that seeks to unite the body of Christ in order to pave the way for a great revival for the Holy Spirit in our world and advance the kingdom of God with the power of the gospel. I believe that the enemy has been very successful in his attempts to tear the body of Christ apart. We have allowed things like denominations to weaken and confuse us. It's time to end that confusion because God is not the author of confusion and we're called to unite. A house divided against itself can't stand. We need to remember that we have a common enemy and that's the one we should be at war with. There are only two groups of people those who are part of the church and those who are not. It's time to flood the nations with Bible-believing, Christ-following servants of God. So if you, your church, your Bible study, your youth group, or anyone would like to get involved with this movement, you can send me an email at revivalistforchrist at gmail.com. You can also keep up to date with us on social media at rfcchrist 10 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's R as in revival, F as in four, Christ, and then the number 10. As you will notice, we're still very much in our infancy, but I have no doubt that God is going to accomplish great things through this movement as we work to be obedient vessels for the Lord. I believe it's the responsibility of the church to act as first responders to the lost and fallen world. So please, if God puts it on your heart to help expand our movement, even if it's just sharing this podcast with your friends and family, please answer that call. It would mean so much. Now, with this podcast, there is a definite learning curve involved, so the quality of the podcast might not be the best at times. As time passes, we will learn more in order to improve the quality, but it's the quality of the conversation that is most important to me right now. The rest will come in time. I just want you to keep that in mind as parts of today's podcast might be a little choppy. Today, I am joined by two great guests. Both have been friends of mine for quite some time. We met during our theater endeavors. They are a husband and wife duo who are active leaders in their church. We will hear their testimony of how they left their performance career in order to pursue their calling from God. Today's topic is titled, Jesus as the Messiah, A Time for Reconciliation. It's part of a series that I'm calling A Walk Through the Four Gospels. It's an exploration of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which will be a 20-week series, which I'm super excited for. That's why I use the term walk and not sprint. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Dear Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to serve you, Lord. And I just want to thank you, Lord, for the viewers who are tuning in, Lord. I pray that you will just use this message and conversation today to speak to their hearts, perhaps give them some wisdom that they didn't have before, Lord, and just ultimately draw closer to you, Lord. 
I pray that you will show them the areas in their life where this message can be applicable and that they will come to see you as your as their Savior, Lord. I pray all this in your holy name. Amen. All right, guys, I'm joined by two great guests today, Jordan and Kira Spencer. It's great to have you both on. We are excited to be here. Yes, we are. I'm excited too. I just want to say thank you so much for you both being my first guest. It really means a lot. Yeah, we're uh, humbled to be your first Yes, yes. Thank you for having us. Of course. And one thing I want to start every podcast by asking my guests is, what is your favorite Bible verse and why is that one so important to you? Well, I guess I'll go first. Um, <laughs> it's it's really tough because uh, I, I often tell people I don't have a favorite Bible verse because um, I really don't. I, there's there's seasons of life that specific verses speak um, to you know to you more, you know, and within a given season, I'll I'll really kind of cling to a verse, and uh, and in that season, I'll really hear God speaking to me through that particular passage or scripture. And so in a season, I'll have a favorite verse and then in another season, it might be different, you know? Um, yeah. But the, uh, I, I, you know, as far as my favorite verse, and it's going to be pretty cliche, but I think it speaks leaps and bounds about who God is, um, you know, who we are, uh, who we are to God and, um, and just how much he loves us is, uh, you know, John 16, which most everybody can receive, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life is, um, it's just kind of, it, it really encompasses all that it is to, to be a Christian, um, the importance of what we believe in. Um, and then also the importance of, again, like the relationship between us and God um and his willingness to sacrifice that which was most dear uh to him for us you know showing showing to us how dear we are to him how much he loves us how much he desires relationship with us um and it's like within that verse it really shows the example of existence um for those of us who claim Christianity who claimed to follow Jesus Christ, mm. um, you know, he, sacrifice is, you know, the example that Jesus came, he came to be a servant, you know, mm-hmm. um, he came to, to lay his life down and, you know, no greater love has man than to lay his life down for, for others, you know? And so, so yeah, so I just love John three sixteen, even though I know it's very cliche, but there's a reason it's cliche because it's for very- sure <laughs> <laughs> and how about you Kara so my favorite um would definitely have to be the love chapter so it's a whole bunch of uh, <laughs> it's a whole chapter it's yeah. A whole, yeah. <laughs> it's the love chapter which is first Corinthians 13 um it's always been a lot to me because it describes love as not this Hollywood feeling um, this it's an action that you pursue and it's work um, but it's the most rewarding and most beautiful gift that you can receive and also give 
And it's like the perfect example of, um, you know, and what comes to mind when I read is, is just the realization that this, how God feels towards me. Um, if this is his definition, his definition of love, like this is how he feels towards me. Um, and it's so challenging because it's how I should then in turn uh, respond to other people and love them. And it's, it's, it's just a beautiful, it's one of my favorite. Um, do you want me to read it real quick? <laughs> yeah, if or you want to. Okay. Uh, um, love is love is kind love does not envy it is not boastful it is not arrogant it is not rude is it it is not self-seeking it is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth it bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never ends and at the, the end of the chapter um, uh, verse 13 says, now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That's awesome. That's actually something I always tell people is love isn't an about an emotion. It's an active decision we make. Yeah. yeah yes. It's an action. Yes. Absolutely. So one verse I'd like to share, which I feel will lead in today's topic is from actually first Corinthians 15, 22, And it's for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Mm. So I've actually known both of you now for 10 years. <laughs> we met through our theater endeavors. Um, the three of us actually did a show together and Jordan, you were my choreographer for one show and a director in another. So we've had the chance to really get to know each other over the years. And I'm very interested in both of your testimonies because you both are first off incredibly talented <laughs> and you both have a very impressive performance resume. Jordan, you were on the world tour of West Side Story and Kira, you performed in a band, Good Little Giants. Now, Jordan, you are an associate pastor and Kira, you are a worship leader of a church. So how did you make that transition from perform, I'm sorry, performer to church leaders? Um, this is one of those who just fill the blank in with God, right? Like the answer to every question on the test is Jesus. Like that's really, <laughs> that's the answer to this question. Um, no, it was... Uh, yeah, it really was. There was, a, I mean, without going too far back deep into it, you know, there were years of my life. Um, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian household. Um, but then I went to college and uh, there was, uh, an ill-equipping, I would say, as far as my faith walk and as far as my understanding of really who God was um, before I went to college. And so when college challenged so much of my perspective of God, um, to the point where I just sort of started to let myself live my life in, you know, enjoying my, my fleshly desires, right? You know, so uh, drinking a lot, partying a lot, uh, promiscuous, like it was not good and uh, very selfish uh, with no real care for the world around me other than what kind of joy it was going to bring me. Um, and I've Followed it to Philadelphia after college for a little while. And then I moved into New York City after I booked my first um, performing gig. I was a principal dancer in the, um, the major motion film across the universe. 
that was like my first big break. Um, oh, wow. And that I did a number of different things um, in New York, as well as the World Tour West Side Story, which you already mentioned. And I thought that that was just what I was supposed to do and that was where I was supposed to be. And I was just, you know, I was, I thought to a degree, I really did believe that I was still kind of like in alignment with what God wanted for me and where God had me because I was doing what I love to do, you know, and I, I had always kind of grew up being told like, just find what you love to do. And in that is, is, is your purpose and your plan God made you for. And there's like, there's truth to that, but there's also like, okay, the, the big part of that that lacks and is lacking is the, uh, the sacrificial part. Absolutely. That's a, you know, that, that idea that, you know, do what you love to do is it, it very easily, very easily becomes about you and what you get enjoyment doing and what you find enjoyment doing. And so, so that's, so then it becomes easy to be selfish and to have your own self vision and not a God given vision. Um, you know, and not, a, and, and you just, yeah, you're not wrapping your head around that whole, like, you know, God gave his son for us <laughs> idea, you know? Um, yeah. and so I, I was there, I was living in New York. I was building the right resume to, you know, make it to Broadway. Uh, I was going to the right auditions, meeting the right people, you know, filling my resume with the right, um, content. And, uh, but at the same time, there was just this emptiness. Mm -hmm. There was a, a void. There was a, this like secret side of me that, you know, even though it was the best side of me, which was my spiritual side, right? My, that, that side of me that grew up in the church, the side of me that knew God was real, that, that believed in Jesus and that that, that wanted to be good, that side of me was, had become like my dark secret <laughs> as opposed to the, the, as opposed to the selfish side that I was living out that was visible for all the world to see, which was drinking, partying, you know, whatever other vices that I had at the time. And um, yeah, the, but that, that small like secret side of me was, was, <laughs> thank the Lord there. And there was still like an understanding of the still small voice of God. And, and uh, I got an email from a friend of mine in Nashville, Tennessee, whose church was sponsoring a church plant in New York city. And he sent me an email and said, Hey, my church is sponsoring this. You should go check this church out. And I fortunately had the wherewithal to think this is a God wink. This is like God trying to get my attention and I had grown really dissatisfied with the temporary joys of the world. And so I knew in the like deepest, darkest parts of my heart, like I just knew that God's life for me was so much more than what I was living out. And so, so I went to the church. I met a lot of great people. God started slowly, but surely over like the next year, um, just, calling me back to him you know really you know it was like total prodigal son moment you know i was returning mm -hmm. to father after being in the muck and the mire with the pigs wondering what in the world am i doing here eating with these pigs when i could be with my father in his home like you know fed well living you know <laughs> in the joy of my my loved ones and so on and so forth and and so i was 
on the subway train going to an audition and God met me on the subway and I just I had my I do moment is what I like to call it it was like a <laughs> it was like a moment of marriage it really was it was like all right God whatever your will whatever you want that's what I want mm-hmm. and I felt him very clearly say I want you to go home and that boggled me and blew my mind and Again, it's like I can. This can go on for a long time, so I'm trying to expedite the answer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I moved home, and literally from there on, from that moment of commitment to following God, I've never had a better life. I've never, you know, like He's never let me down. He led me to Kira. Uh, he led me into ministry. He led, you know, He led us to having children, children and so on and so forth. And it went for me helping out in the church, doing some technical stuff, which he had equipped me to do um, through my theater ministry or through my theater time. He taught me how to do stuff that kind of opened the door for me to get into uh, the church, working for the church. And then that led to me becoming an associate pastor and so on and so forth. And, you know, from there it's history, but um, yeah, it was just, what it makes me think of is in Proverbs, it says that your gifting will make a space for you in the presence of King in the presence of Kings. Mm. And it was one of those things Mm. where it's like what God had shown me and taught me through my time doing those things. um, He he showed me his amazing grace and mercy by bringing me out of those things. But what he equipped me to be able to do made a way for me in the present, like to, Mm. to step into what he really wanted me to do and how he wanted me to pursue him. And so, um, yeah, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I'll get out of the way and let you. Oh my gosh, but it's, I'm trying because I know Jordan just stole a hundred minutes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, he didn't steal it. He's his story. We, I mean, we all have drawn out stories. Just trying to sort through what's necessary to not, but um. Yeah, I mean, I also grew up in the church with Jordan, and, you know, I was quite a wild young person. I was homeschooled, and, you know, it all stems back to the first relationship I had. The first boyfriend I had, you know, he cheated on me, and I was like, you know, somewhere inside it clicked, like, this will never happen to me again. So, if anything... I'm going to be the cheater. I'm going to like, I'm going to do what I want. So I just kind of like went off the deep end essentially just with drinking and, you know, I was 15 the first time I got drunk and just like running around, just doing whatever I wanted. And, um, very involved in the theater, like the community theater scene and hanging out with people twice my age and, you know, just like, going wild and doing what I wanted and fulfilling um, something that I deeply longed for, which was affirmation. I became addicted to affirmation because I just so long, I was longing for to be loved the way that I was made to love, you know, um, to be loved in, in my DNA. And so that was like, something that's even crept into our marriage, just the addition to affirmation and the party and drinking. And, you know, Jordan and I have been through a lot in our early years of marriage and there was a reconciliation that happened in our marriage early on. And then we started having kids and God's been in 
he's been so incredible how the orchestra has orchestrated all of it. I mean, we're both leaders in the church. And um, I remember one of our best friends and our pastors, um, Tim and Carrie Smart. Um, but Tim had pointed to me and is like, you are a leader. And I was like, no, I am not a leader. <laughs> you will not ever say that over me. I can just hide in the corner and just sing on a worship team. And that's fine. I don't need to do anything else, you know? But um, he saw something in me and both of us. Um, and he was really good at cultivating that, like drawing that out of us. I'm just speaking life in that way. Yeah. And um, that, I mean, honestly, seriously, if, if someone would have said that we were going to be, you know, leaders in the church uh, at any point in our lives, like before, I don't know, like before 2015 or 2016, we would have been like, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> just go back and do your own thing. You're crazy. So, um, it's, it's been a huge gift and the way it's all unfolded has been really amazing. So God's good. That's awesome. I actually <laughs> had something similar happen earlier this year. Um, I have been chasing my own desires, the world, and Jesus kind of just woke me up this year. And he said, I didn't die. So you could get closer to your sins. I died. So you could get closer to me. Amen. Stop. That's so good. <laughs> so I find it funny that you use the word reconciliation though, Kira, because that's actually the theme of today. And I don't think we even talked about that before the podcast. So it's nice to see God at work here. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So not only is this the first podcast of Revivalist for Christ, but it is also the first in a series of 20 weeks where we will be walking through the four Gospels. And I think how fitting that is to be starting this journey only weeks away from Christmas. And I honestly can't believe it's Christmas already during a year that we felt would never end. (laughs) Um. But yeah, I think 2020 will always be that year that sticks out in human history. And for a lot of us, it hit on a real human level. And I'm sure as church leaders, you guys have heard a lot of different difficulties throughout the year. Um, The one question I have for you guys before we hop into the topic is, do you feel that society has lost the true meaning of Christmas? Well... Um, this society, yeah, I mean, it's like society on the whole, I mean, if you're just looking at it from the world of men, uh, yeah, oh yeah, it's, you know, the true meaning of Christmas is sort of slipped into the background, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just sort of, it's kind of like, (laughs) it's kind of like that, that deep, dark secret part of me I was referring to in my testimony, Mm -hmm. you know, like, that's like this deep, dark secret, oh yeah, that's right, you know, this is all supposed to be a celebration of, of uh, you know, a baby's birth. And, um, and it's, it, you know, it's over the years, you know, man, man has done what men do, uh, successfully commercialized it, successfully equipped mm-hmm. it for their own desires and, and to fulfill their own needs and, and to, uh, you know, uh, how, you know, make it about them. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, you know what humanity often has the uh 
propensity to do is make everything about them. We make everything about us, you know? And, and so, so yeah, society, I would say on the whole has definitely lost a, uh, it's grip on the, the true meaning of, of Christmas for sure. Yeah. You know, even in the gift giving, um, you know, again, we make it about us. It's like, look how good I am at giving gifts. Look at what I give and how I can give and the, you know, the amount of the present I give or, you know, or the purest, even in the purest, you know, oh, I, my giving was going and volunteering, uh, you know, or what it's just like, but they still have, we still have this way of making it like, but it, it was self-fulfilling for yeah. you in the moment. It was self-fulfilling for me in the moment. And, um, and therefore eliminating Christ from it you know um because it becomes quite often just about us yeah absolutely and while i was preparing for the podcast this week i was actually looking at some staggering statistics and actually one in five people believe christmas will leave them in debt and according to harvard medical school only 10 percent of people reported not feeling any stress during christmas and i just find that interesting in a time where christmas literally means mass of christ and it was meant to be this great observance of being of the savior of the world, the Messiah finally arriving, and we turned it into this commercialized holiday. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just but, yeah, blows my mind. I mean, and that it's in, it, you know, even in the way that they've changed, so many people won't say Merry Christmas anymore. It's become mm -hmm. you know, happy holidays. Yeah, like you ain't woke enough if you ain't saying happy holidays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> woke culture is the worst but i guess this would be a great segue into talking about who is this old testament messiah hmm. what is your guys's take on the old testament messiah the anticipated messiah hmm. um I, uh, the uh i guess i my question in regards to that is are you talking about you know, Adam, the first man, or are you talking about the prophecies of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah? Yeah, the um, prophecies of the coming Messiah that the Jewish people were anticipating. The sword-wheeling, kingdom-conquering. <laughs> Overthrowing the Roman government. That Messiah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's, that's my bad. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think that uh, I can see how people looked at these prophecies and as a lot of, again, as we do, we make it about us and the Israelites, because of what they were always going through, the turmoil that they were always seemingly in and always seemingly struggling with and going through, um, you know, they so badly wanted you know, the Old Testament prophesied Messiah to be that, that great conqueror who is going to come and just turn the tables on everyone and everything and make them in the end, the great conquering nation, you know, and it was like, um, because they wanted, they wanted, you know, um, redemption and justification. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like they wanted it to be this, um, you know, they wanted to be able to have the last line uh so to speak and so they wanted the messiah the old testament messiah and what was prophesied about him to be indicative of this this king on a white horse 
mm-hmm. riding in with, you know, sword drawn, you know, um, ready to just take and overthrow everything and everybody mm-hmm. um, and show that you show the world there, you know, their God is the best, you know, but again, that's about them because mm-hmm. they, they, they felt they needed to, um, that, that, you know, they, they felt like they would be vindicated in that act of, you know, the Messiah, the conquering um, hero. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if that uh, is necessarily answering your question, but it is. No, it definitely does, because there was this misinterpretation by the Jews of that time. And even to this day, there's Jews that don't even recognize that the Messiah had already come and they're still waiting for him. Oh, yeah. Um, and they just, they kind of cherry-picked the prophecies they wanted to believe in and left out the, mm-hmm. you know, the prophecies that were actually, the you know, indicative of the coming mm-hmm. of Christ, which was that he was going to come in humble, riding on a donkey, you know, like, mm-hmm. that he was going to be, you know, from Bethlehem, like, you know, and the, like, you have to ask yourself, why did, why was it, it took three wise men from the Orient afar to know that the Christ was born when all of Israel was surrounding him. Like, why didn't they know the signs and see <laughs> and go to Bethlehem searching for the Messiah? Like, how come these these wise men from way, way off had to travel whatever, you know, years or whatever it took for them to get there? Um, but yet the, the, the teachers and the Israelites and the Jews all around where he actually was and where he was born didn't see the signs and didn't know that, that he was born already. You know, right. it's, it just shows that we, we tend to always see what we want to see. Definitely. We always create a narrative and it's very interesting because I believe those wise men were Zoroastrians. Mm-hmm. So I, by the end of the podcast, we'll actually be able to answer what the Messiah actually came to do. But um, we had just talked about putting our lives down for Jesus and what it means to surrender. And I think it would be appropriate to talk about somebody else in the Bible who also um, did this himself. Um, I said earlier in the uh, podcast that it takes a lot to put aside your entire life in order to pursue Jesus and this author is the author of one of the four gospels and I really want to take a moment to look at the account of Matthew. A quick bio for the listeners, Matthew, which is also referred by his Hebrew name Levi, was a disciple of Jesus and was a first century apostle. Prior to becoming a disciple, he was a tax collector, also called a publican, for Herod Antioch Station in Capernaum in order to collect revenue on goods passing between Damascus and the Mediterranean ports. I find it very interesting that Jesus chose a tax collector because at the time, tax collectors were viewed as the lowest of sinners. They were Jews who would work for the Roman Empire, so they were seen as traitors. They were not paid a wage, so they were expected to charge people more in order to make their living, so they were often dishonest and cheated people out of money. So what do you guys think about Jesus choosing a tax collector to be one of his disciples? Oh my gosh. I It brings me 
um, right, I mean, to the purpose that the whole reason Jesus came, um, which we'll talk more, you know, in depth later on, you said, but um, just his depiction of, or his really his ability um, to really point out and speak life to the gold in somebody's life rather than what they're going through or the dirt. Um, and, and he saw Matthew at the end of his race with trophy in hand rather than seeing him as this like destructive traitor, you know, that everyone else thought, you know, he was. And um, when somebody radically loves you, like it just goes back to the love of Christ. Like he came to uh, knock down these stereotypes and these walls between um, what it is to really love our neighbor and, you know, what really the father's heart really is. And, um, you know, just my thought on the fact that he chose Matthew, somebody that everyone else hated and has a stereotype is very moving for me because of all that I've done in my life. You know, I'm this wretched woman who, you know, who struggles with all these different things. And I've done some pretty nasty stuff in my life. And the fact that Jesus could still use me um, and still love me regardless of what people think of me and what the world would say about me, like, that is hopeful. That is, that breathes life into my spirit and to those who, you know, wouldn't necessarily know who Jesus is, you know, that's the heart of Jesus and God right there is that he chooses those who are not choosable, you know, um, worthy to be chosen by the world's standards. And I personally, that's like something that just moves my heart in in great way in a great way so yeah absolutely just to tag on to that i'm like there's also just the fact that it's like jesus is transformative yeah and you know i he came and he called on people who are the least likely because it showed him to be the most likely like it showed him to be the most because he chose the least. Like the, the only way, you know, that, that he could be represented in the most powerful way, in, you know, the most, the most glorified way was, you know, like it would have been if he had come and he had just called upon Caiaphas, you know, or one of the other head priests or, and he would have like, you know, had them following him. Like it would have been uh, like every, it would have been expected. It would have been like, okay, well, these are the holy men. Of course, they're the ones that, you know, mm-hmm. that he's going to interact with because they're the ones that are, are holy. Us yeah. lowly sinners, yeah. us broken, lowly sinners, you know, like God would never take the time with us. Mm-hmm. But Jesus yeah. coming, going to the ones that everybody looked at, at, at the lowliest, as the lowliest, everyone. And he says it right to the the pharisees and scribes he said you know i came for the sick not for the healthy you know like i came to heal the sick you know i came for the sinner i came for the ones that you guys the the ones who believe themselves to be so healthy the ones you guys look down upon they're the ones who i came to show 
God loves them. God mm-hmm. desires relationship with them. God can redeem them and make the most out of their lives. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that was indicative in his um, choice of disciples, yeah. you know, Matthew being definitely one um, <laughs> specific one, because like you had already pointed out, he was despised because of his yeah. career, because of being a tax collector. He was, I mean, he was looked down upon, probably spat upon, you know, cussed at probably daily, you know, like <laughs> literally hate his own people. And his own family, yeah. you know, like his own most family. Likely, yeah. Most likely, you know. So it was, yeah. yeah. So it just goes to show, you know, the heart of Jesus and yeah, the that nobody is too far from him. Wow. You know? For yeah. sure. And I feel like we can learn a lot from Matthew because being a tax collector, he had to have been very well off. So I feel out of all of Jesus's disciples, Matthew understood the cost of following Jesus the most. Others could have returned to their fishing jobs, but Matthew had to leave it all behind, which would guarantee him unemployment. And I think just calling on or answering in obedience says a lot and sets the example for us as Christians today. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah, I mean, he, Jesus, you know, that the young ruler comes and approaches him and says, what do I need to do to follow you? And, you know, Jesus responds with, sell all your stuff and come, come, you know, and <laughs> he, he with that, you know, where Matthew was like, all right, let's do this, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's the concept. You don't hear anything more from the young rich ruler. He probably, you know, who knows what happened to him. But Matthew wrote this incredible book of the Bible. And uh, it just it, it's just a beautiful contrast of, you know, obedience um, and being willing to um, give up to, to self-sacrifice to the one who sacrificed it all for us. So... Definitely. And you brought up Matthew's work, which I feel this is one of the best gospels because it was obviously written to first century Jews in order to point them to their Messiah. But I think even us today can take a lot from it. And I feel that it it correlates so well with the Old Testament. There's over 60 references to Jewish prophecy, 40 direct quotations from the Old Testament. The phrase, that which was spoken through the prophets, appears nine times in Matthews and not once in any other gospel. He makes mm-hmm. use of very important numerology, such as 7, 10, and 12. And his gospel contains more teachings than any other gospel. You have the Sermon on the Mount. You have the instructions of the disciples for sending out of the 12, the parables of the kingdom, terms of discipleship, and end times dissertation. And it almost seems Matthew models the layout of the Torah with a fivefold division, possibly presenting this gospel as the new Torah and Jesus as the new and greater Moses. Yeah. I love that. So I think we're going to go ahead and hop into our scripture focus for this week. Um, With the scripture on today, we will actually be looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And this is where all the viewers just drop out. (laughs) I can't be the only one who comes to a long list of names in the Bible and just skips them. (laughs) 
But it's very interesting because in preparing for this topic, I just realized how much great information there actually is overlooked in doing that. So listeners, don't tune out just yet. It's about to get interesting. Um, we actually have two accounts of the genealogy of Jesus, one in Matthew, who we just talked about, and another in Luke. Take a listen to these passages. Here is the scripture reading for Matthew 1, 1 through 1, 17. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar, and Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nasan, and Nasan begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias, and Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jotham. And Jotham begot Achaz, and Achaz begot Ezekias, and Ezekias begot Manassas, and Manassas begot Amon, and Amon begot Josias, and Josias begot Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begot Salathiel, and Salathiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. And Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud. And Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Next we have Luke 3.23 through 3.33. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Eli, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Jana, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Mattathias, which was the son of Amos, which was the son of Nahum, which was the son of Esli, which was the son of Negei, which was the son of Maath, which was the son of Mattathias, which was the son of Semei, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Judah which was the son of Joanna, which was the son of Ressa, which was the son of Zerubbabel, which was the son of Salathiel, which was the son of Nerai, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Adai, which was the son of Kosam, which was the son of Elmodam, which was the son of Er, which was the son of Jose, which was the son of Eliezer, which was the son of Jorim, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Simeon, which was the son of Judah, 
which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Jonan, which was the son of Eliakim, which was the son of Maliah, which was the son of Manan, which was the son of Mattatha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse, which was the son of Obed, which was the son of Booz, which was the son of Salmon, which was the son of Nasson, which was the son of Aminadab, which was the son of Aram, which was the son of Esram, which was the son of Pharis, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Therah, which was the son of Nacor, which was the son of Sarak, which was the son of Rago, which was the son of Phalek, which was the son of Heber, which was the son of Salah, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Sem, which was the son of No, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Mahaliel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Why do you guys feel that the genealogies are important? Hmm. Um, well, because, first off, because they were important. They're important now because they were important then. Um, the back then names had such depth and meaning and uh there was intentionality in names like nowadays people just kind of pull names out of whatever right like i'm just uh, oh look i love this guy i'm gonna call you sky like you know it's like names can be very uh seemingly flippant these days with yeah. some of the bizarre you know names people are are picking and choosing these days but then it wasn't like that back then names were very very um important you know um for a number of reasons but i so because of that it's important it should be important to us now to understand you know what it what it would have meant so the culture and the context right the culture and the context what it would have meant contextually to the to the jews mm -hmm. um reading this you know reading the the you know the text of matthew and reading the book that he wrote um we have to understand that 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 meant a lot to them to see how he made sure to tie the birth of Christ all the way back to Father Abraham. Um, and so that's, uh, hmm. that's a key reason um, for sure why the, why the genealogy is in there. It doesn't explain why it's so boring to read sometimes, but it's <laughs> for us. Um, but in, once we start to grasp the importance of their names, it, it becomes less boring to read because then we're like, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Because you start to recognize certain names. And if you're reading in the old text and you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll start to see that names within the genealogy are tying to stories in the Old Testament. And then it has more contextual meaning to you. It's more like it becomes more important. There's so much depth, you know, mm -hmm. behind Abraham and Isaac, uh, Jacob, Judah, and his brothers. Um, you know, there's, you know, Aminadab, he's, you know, I'm like looking down the list here, Rahab, Boaz, Rahab, mm -hmm. um, you know, Obed uh, from Ruth. Like there was just so many. And then obviously King, King David. David. Solomon, 
um, who was born by Uriah's wife. And if you know the story of David and Bathsheba, you know that that's who Uriah's wife was. And mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of stuff there um, that is so good to know and to, to have read and studied. Mm-hmm. And um, Jehoshaphat, like, it's just, you just go down through it. And once, if you've read through the Old Testament and then you tie it to this genealogy, it's like just embedded with like unbelievable story after story of God's movement, God's provision in some of the most key characters of the nation of Israel's history. And then it ultimately um, results in the coming Messiah, you know, which is a fulfillment of the promise God made to the nation of Israel. That's the biggest yeah. thing. It's an, it's an indicator that God will make a promise and he will keep a promise. You will see it through. 100%. And I'm actually interested to get your guys' thoughts on something. I came across a list um, of some theories because Bible critics will often point to the genealogies of Matthew and Luke and say, look, they're different. That's an inconsistency in the Bible. So I want to read these theories to you guys, get your thoughts, because I also feel it's important for our listeners to be able to defend the uh, validity of the word of God. So as Jordan alluded to, um, Genealogies were a very important part of Jewish tradition. Jews were very meticulous record keepers. It was actually a great offense for a Jew to not be able to account for their ancestry. Priests who could not trace their ancestry were often put out of office, which we see in Nehemiah 7.64. Also, Jews' inheritances or titles for their homes are, were often tied to their genealogy, which we see in First Chronicles 9.1. And I think another thing to realize is that Jesus had a lot of haters in his day. So if there were any discrepancies between the two birth records, they would have been exploited. So the Jews at that time must not have seen an issue with the genealogies. And even the Pharisees themselves in Matthew twenty-two forty-two, admitted that Jesus was the son of David. So a couple of the theories that I ran into that explain this, uh, theory number one, both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David. Matthew traces the lineage through David's son Solomon, while Luke traces it through the lineage of David's son Nathan. I found that one to be pretty interesting. And then theory number two, we see Jesus' legal or royal lineage through Joseph and Matthew and his biological lineage through Mary and Luke. Matthew had more of a focus on showing Jesus as the king of the Jews, only tracing his lineage back to Abraham, while Luke was more concerned as showing Jesus as a man, tracing his lineage all the way back to Adam. And then theory number three is... um, and this is something that most critics point to, that in Matthew, Joseph's father is listed as Jacob, and in Luke, Joseph's father is listed as Heli. Well, Heli would have been the father-in-law of Joseph, but since there was no word for father-in-law at that time, Heli was called the father of Joseph. According to scripture, we only know that Mary had a sister, so if she had no brothers, then Joseph would become the legal heir to Heli's inheritance in accordance to the law of Numbers 36, 1 through 2. And the final theory, which is the one I probably subscribe most to because it was from one of the early church historians, Eusebius, 
he actually spoke on this matter in book one of Ecclesiastical History. He mentioned that both Jacob and Heli are actually both Joseph's fathers. According to the law in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 6, if two brothers dwell together and one dies childless, his brother is expected to take on his widow as a wife. The first child born of them would be the deceased brother's legal heir, so his name won't be blotted out of Israel. So while the living brother is the child, the child's biological father, the deceased brother is the child's legal father. This would also be consistent since Matthew says Jacob begot Joseph, while Luke says Joseph is the son of Heli. So I'm interested what you guys think about that. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, there's, as you pointed out, there's, uh, there's disputing, there's discrepancies, and there's, there's, you know, there's obviously deep theological dives and studies that have gone into this. Um, you know, but there's not a single one of those the three sort of key theological um, concepts uh, that you've put that you you know that you just spoke about. There's not a single one that, by any way or in any way, shape or form, denounces the truth of who Jesus is, mm-hmm. and 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 or can impact the reason why Jesus came. And so it's um, you know, but in the very first thing you said um, regarding you know, the Jewish people, they weren't swayed or find, they must not have found any discrepancies within the two different accounts of the genealogy. You know, they, they couldn't have found any discrepancies within that um, and, and didn't protest it or didn't, um, you know, negate it or in any way, shape or form. And so those, that to me is the indicator that both are um, accurate that they don't contradict one another, but that they must complement one another, and that they, and, and 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 that it's you know Luke's and Matthew's accounts are um, again nothing more than wrong reinforcement to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel of the validity of who Christ is in his lineage from Abraham you know, from, you know, Adam all the way down, you know, from the first, the first man all the way to Christ's birth. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, you, no matter where you stand, that's fine. You know, I think you're right. I, I think that that, you know, re, regarding the, um, the proper, you know, marriage of, uh, you, like you said, in the ecclesiastical, uh, account the way in which a, a widow or a, a you know man or brothers living together in a home like that seems to make the most sense based off of the Old Testament um, tradition that was in place and so I'm like if I was going to say I subscribe to any one of those concepts it would probably be that one as well yeah. um, but regardless for for me I'm like I, I love that stuff and I you know, like I'll, I, I like studying that stuff, but what I also love is that it doesn't change anything about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and the, the promise kept by God. Absolutely.
Yeah. And I think that when we look at this genealogy and Matthew in particular, um, it's very interesting because you see heroes of faith like Abraham, Isaac, Ruth, and David. You see people with poor reputations like Rahab and Tamar. Some were just ordinary like Hexron, Ram, Nashon, and Akim. And then there were evil people such as Manasseh and Abjah. And the genealogy includes a mixtures of Jews, Gentiles, and proselytes, and includes people from who were Canaanites, Moabites, and Hittites. And something interesting we also see is the mention of five women, which was not a common practice in Jewish genealogy at all. And all except for Ruth and Mary kind of have a similar... Or a shady reputation. So why do you think we have this lineage that's leading to this promised king, but we're seeing all these past um, sinful and fallen people in this order? I think um, this again moves my spirit in such a massive way because it just goes to show that no one is greater than anyone else that there's there's no one that is without sin and the only perfect king that could ever come was Jesus and in fact I was just reading this morning um in first Samuel there's a little devotional and it's it's spot on you know um when the Israelites wanted an, a, to have a king, right? Um, they rejected their true king, the God of heaven and earth, um, but God granted their request and gave them over to their desires without, um, without a warning. But ironically, the king they rejected was the only king to fulfill this request. God had already been their judge out before them and fought their battles, which is what they were asking for in a king. And so our perspective, I think, I just really appreciate and love that this goes back to the heart of the father, because his perspective is always greater than ours. Um, and he is the only true king, the only true judge. And, you know, it can, it just is proof that he can use anyone, man, woman, crazy person, person on fire, whatever it is, like, it doesn't matter who you are, you have a purpose, and God will use you. And, and that's how I feel um, is, is the reason behind that, you know, God, when Jesus came, um, you know, we talk a lot about of equality, you know, in this day and age, but when Jesus came, he was the true equalizer of humankind, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> actually came to level the playing field in saying, you know, um, in, uh, sorry, I had it. Um, oh boy, I had it all picked out. Um, <laughs> cause I was thinking about it, but he came, it's right here. So, you know, um, if anyone, you know, looks at a woman lustfully, you know, in Matthew five, um, he says, you know, if, if, if a man looks at another woman with lust, he has committed adultery in his heart, you know, and later on there's, you know, if you commit 
hate against your brother, you've committed, you've committed murder. And those are two of the 10 commandments that God has, um, the laws that God has laid out for the, his people. And so what he was doing there was leveling the playing field and saying, look, not one of us is greater than anyone else. He leveled the playing field saying, all sin is sin. There's no, you know, sure there's sin that has greater consequence, earthly consequence, but sin is sin is sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. And he leveled that playing field. And I think the proof of the genealogy and just like God using and allowing this ragamuffin crew of family be the line that Jesus comes through and for him, for him to be born in a manger, you know, and it's so low. He brought himself so low um, as not only as, as an example to us as believers, as where we should be, but he brought himself low so that he can be lifted up highest above all else. You know, it's, it's beautiful in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think when we look at Luke's genealogy compared to Matthew, I don't feel that one in particular was quite as artistically laid out as Matthew. But when I look at that one, I'm seeing that this genealogy I'm part of, you know, like I'm part of the lineage of Adam. So it really shows Jesus came to save all people. Yes. In Romans, it says that he came to save all, not one, not just, you know, this person or that person he came for all, Um, you know, and I just, it's just so incredibly hopeful. Just even proof in the genealogy, which is boring to read. It's like their backstories and who they are. It's just so hopeful. Is it not? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, and it's what I also is just something that sticks out to me right now. I've noticed it before, but I'm like going back and forth between the the genealogies of both. Um, and it's just really cool to me that Matthew's is from yeah the beginning yeah. to Christ, and Luke's is from Christ to the beginning. Yeah. Like there's like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like with a list of it, like, it, and it's like, and then, you know, Matthew only goes, you know, it only goes from Abraham again because of who it was written to, the Jews specifically, who, um, you know, like, Father Abraham had many sons, it's, it's not a song, you know, just for no reason, like, it was very specific, like, they really, you know, looked to Abraham as, as far as their, you know, laws were concerned as far as you know everything that you know was was jewish traditional jewish really you know they looked to him as like the beginning of that all and so um and so it it is it was interesting that he started at abraham you know and matthew or whatever but luke goes and takes it straight to god um he goes off adam the son of god um just beautiful actually in the way that it's all written and like Kira already said I mean I think that the the when you're reading the gospels you got to think about who's writing the gospels again Matthew was not revered he was not Mm -hmm. somebody who was cared for he was not somebody who was loved um and so his inclusion of everybody great small and otherwise in the gospels 
was just really another way of, of saying, I mean, not only did he have to, I mean, obviously he needed to have all the inclusion. It just so happens that it includes people like Manasseh, in Manasseh um, who was just literally the most evil king, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like the worst. Um, and, you know, defiler, pagan, worshiping um, king of Israel. And it was like, yeah. and the fact that Jesus came out of that same lineage or out of that same line is like, it is, as Kira said, just a, a sign of just how he evens the playing field because no one, not one, is right in their own heart. No. But with Christ, yeah. we can become right. We can be made right. Yeah. You know, not not in the sense of like, oh, we're better than other people, but in the sense that only Jesus is right, only mm -hmm. God is good. And so the you know, the the only place where we can find our true right mm -hmm. selves, our true right path, our true rightness is in God and in Christ. Yeah. Imagine being awesome. and writing that lineage and saying, Yes, this is Jesus, this is <laughs> Because yeah. he did this for me, you know, like, oh, this is so moving, oh, so moving. Yeah, it just to back up, that's in chapter five, the yeah. Christ fulfills the law. He did not come to but to abolish to fulfill, and then the murder begins in the heart and the adultery, you know, I just love that. He just, you know, all the, I'm better than so-and-so, and you're better than, I, you know, just like the Pharisees the Pharisees and how they thought they were better, but it's like, they were, you know, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They're, they're this, you know, white, clean, pristine image on the outside. And on the inside, there's nothing there. It's hollowed, hollowed out nothing. There's no deep substance, but really, honestly, if the further you are away from Jesus and if you're reckoned, Styled in that and I can attest to that because I was one of those people uh you know the the nasty your things that you've done not that that's ever a good thing but the more you realize the depth and the wonder and awe of who Jesus really is and and the beauty of the cross it's just it is more moving because you are a no good nobody. You are one of those lineage people and God's using you. It's just like the most, oh, anyway, I could go on forever about that. <laughs> one more thing I wanted to point out. I heard a teaching a while back and this was so, so good. Luke's account of the genealogy of, of Christ points to his divinity. Hmm. Matthew's account of the genealogy of Christ points to his man, mm. his humanity. Wow. And it's it's another way in which he is shown in scriptures as being both man and God. Amen. Absolutely. Um, and so it, it yeah, it's it's awesome. Mm. Also, when you're looking at it, the promise that was made for all mankind was made between God and Abraham. We do see a lot of fulfilled prophecies just within these genealogies. I mean, you have the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah will come from Shem, which was one of the sons of Noah, that he would be a seed of Abraham, which we see fulfilled. He would be a seed of Isaac, which we see fulfilled, seed of Jacob, which is fulfilled. He would be from the tribe of Judah, which is fulfilled. Uh, fulfilled the heir to the throne of David and be a seed of a woman so a lot of prophecies being fulfilled just within the first chapter of Matthew in this third chapter of Luke 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So good, man. He never leaves a promise undone. Yeah, I think that's something, especially in a year like this, you know, where so many people feel that they are forgotten or that God has abandoned the world. I think a lot of people forget that there was a 400 year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament and God kind of left them hanging on this prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So as we wrap up, I do think it's important that we reflect on kind of what we talked about today. Um, To me, I think there is a heavy theme in Jesus as the Messiah, the promised savior of the world and the reconciler between us and God. Why do you guys feel we need a reconciler between us and God? Well, (laughs) yeah, no, gosh. I can probably think of multiple things today that I've done that that have not been what I probably should do or say or how I should act in certain. I mean, just there was a moment earlier where I was short with my daughter, you know, it was like, uh, you know, and afterwards I just thought to myself, like, I could have handled that. You know, it's like we have an innate ability (laughs) um, to to step out of alignment of the spirit of God and to, to, to try to do things on our own and our own emotions with our own feelings and in our own way. And, um, you know, like we were talking about, I mean, it's like, you know, from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, there was a step out of alignment, a decision to, made that took them out of alignment with the father, you know, and went against his will because they and their humanity wanted to pursue their own will. Um, and, and it's been that way ever since we've, you know, men and women have tried to be the leaders of their own lives, you know, and they've tried to, to rule and, you know, in their own lives. And I mean, and you look at humanity now, you look at the situation that we are currently in in society, culturally, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there's all sorts of socioeconomic issues, you know, there's, uh, you know, the political issues, there's, you know, um, gosh, there's just so much um, going on all around us that if you look to it and just say, okay, whose fault is this? Mm -hmm. We really only have ourselves to point at. Yeah. We only have ourselves to blame. Yeah. The fault lies humanity because we refuse to acknowledge that God is supposed to be leading us. It's just like what Kira referred to in the Old Testament. God was the leader of the Israelites until they demanded of Moses a king. God was the one leading them out of Egypt. God was the one performing all of the miracles, parting the Red Sea, leading them with a pillar of fire. Samuel. Huh? He was demanding Samuel. Oh, Samuel. Sorry, Moses. The man, yeah, Samuel. But um, but eventually they were just like, you know, we don't want to follow God. We want somebody to lead us. Like we need a like they needed they needed and wanted to do it themselves or wanted, you know, like to be humanly led, which was a flawed decision, you know. And um, and so hmm. it that's just the way things have been, and, and we still to this day, every single one of us, each and every day, have moments where we try to lead ourselves, where we try mm-hmm. to make decisions. And I personally can point to those moments and usually say that 
could have been done better. <laughs> Maybe if I had looked to God before making that choice, yeah, it would have been done better. And so in those moments, I just say, Lord, you know, like, forgive me for not looking to you first and, um, and reconcile me to you, reconcile me to your, you know, to what is right, right? It's like a matter of getting an alignment, back in alignment with the spirit of the Lord, with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, and um, and trying to remain on the path of righteousness for his name's sake, hmm. not for my own, not for anybody else's, but because he deserves the glory, he deserves the honor, and not only that, he promises, and as we've already discussed during this whole podcast, he's faithful to keep his promises, but he promises us that if we follow the path of righteousness um, and seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, you know, all these things will be added unto us. The greatest life we will ever have or ever you know, need to have and can ever pursue is on the path of righteousness with God. Yeah. And so if we're off the path, we're only going to come up against problems, troubles, issues, you know, we're only going to come up against famine, pestilence, you know, war, um, hatred, bigotry, you know, hypocrisy. Like we're only going to come up against these things if we're off the beaten path. Hmm. If we stay on the path of righteousness, pursuing God, you know, he reminds us of our, of his grace. He reminds us of his mercy. He, he, he fills us with the, the spirits, the fruits of the spirit, gentleness, kindness, patience, patience, joy, faithfulness, love, steadfastness, self-control. Like all of these things start to get manifested in our lives. And, and the best life we have to live is on that path. Yeah. And so it's important that we get reconciled. Yeah. Because that's what puts us on the path. Yeah. It goes back to um, the verse you had uh, mentioned earlier, Corinthians 15, 22. But the verses leading up to that, in my Bible, it's that whole paragraph, the title of it is Christ's resurrection guarantees ours, mm. uh, you know, but it's in verse 20. So first Corinthians 15, verse 20, it says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. It's just, it's just, um, you know. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just get so moved by it. So fast. <laughs> Me too. And yeah. I, I'm sorry. What was that? No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, when we make peace with God, we start to feel that peace ourselves. And Rick Warren actually said, reconciliation is the restoration of peace. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace in your yeah. own heart. It is a powerful miracle cure for broken lives and relationships. Reconciliation diffuses conflict and turns chaos into calmness. And I think in 2020, we need reconciliation now more than ever. 
not only is it a year that caused us to physically divide, but it's also a year where we have the media playing up our differences for the sake of an interesting story. You have the government encouraging such division amongst nations, because just in my personal opinion, a nation where citizens are fighting against each other and not holding the government accountable is easier to control. Um, so all of this is leading to lost friendships and broken homes. So at this point, as Christians, and this being the season of peace on earth and goodwill to men, what is our responsibility? Ooh, you ready for another 45 minutes? I know. So <laughs> <laughs> would have been the first question, Jordan, yeah. and we'd still be going on. <laughs> this is real this is like really wait wait oh sorry what it's the same answer as the first one i gave jesus it's <laughs> <laughs> no, our responsibility it's actually... to emulate and to act like and to be like christ regardless of all those other things you said you know <laughs> our job really jordan and i have been really burdened on our hearts for our neighbors and mm -hmm. we've got to break down the barriers of like social divide whether you're black gay hispanic i i just like i don't care who you like it doesn't matter like racist or homophobia all that stuff is just trap like uh -huh. that's not the the heart of jesus mm -hmm. he came to break those barriers down and we put them back up again and you know as his example we're to love first and not ask questions later, <laughs> yeah. you know, like love first, mm, like that's, that's not, it's not, like our responsibility is to love people the way that we have been loved. And if we take advantage of the blood of Christ ourselves and we don't lay our lives down and share that love with others and just are super hypocritical in that way, like how, how, horrifying it is to the to the blood of Jesus like I just feel like ah, uh, it's just it's just such a terrible misuse of what God has done for us and I you know we have been feeling in our hearts like just so grieved over the division between you know people and the first step we need to take is to invite people over that are not believers like have them for dinner. You know, we've, we've created our little social circles and our own little communities. And it's been this little clubhouse that we've created for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, when you see that as an outsider person, first of all, hypocrisy grows in a place like that. But also like when somebody is on the outside looking in, it's like, no, like how do I become a part of that club? It just becomes a striving thing rather than an invitation through love. Like the, all of the motives um, are skewed and really it comes down to, I believe that God's allowed COVID to happen because he is saying, wait, 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 wait. this whole building thing, this whole like fad of Christianity, like, you know, these famous pastors and stuff. Now I love some of the famous pastors in our country, you know, but it's like, he is our famous one. Yeah. And we have lost sight of who the actual Messiah is in our lives. And we have 
we've, we've bought into this American lifestyle of doing the grind, you know, and, and we're so deep in the trenches of the American lifestyle that we don't have quote unquote time for revival, you know, and God has allowed, you know, this thing to happen so that we can have the opportunity to do some reevaluating. Like now is the time for repentance. Like, God, we're sorry. This is not your heart. This is not your intention. You know, what you intended it to be. Like, that's what he's been doing in our hearts. And, you know, to, to step outside of our comfort zones and invite people to our house over for dinner that we don't know and just don't, you don't even have to share the gospel. Like you don't have to even talk about Jesus, just love them and live the gospel instead of prioritizing your words and sharing about Jesus. Why not live it out by loving the people around us? And if the opportunity comes, you know, then share, you know, but sharing without relationship with those people, it's, it's not, it becomes a judgmental thing, you know, that happens rather than in a, authentic love for that person. Anyway, I mean, I could go on forever about that. (laughs) No, that I think you had a lot of great things to say right there. And I agree 100%. Um, For me personally, um, the big reason this podcast and this whole movement happened was because of this time to reevaluate the direction of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I think everyone is experiencing that, you know, right now, but um, for those listening right now, I would just invite you to, if you haven't already, don't ignore the little tap tap that God's doing on our heart, like Mm -hmm. on your heart, it's, it's purposeful. Um, It's thought out and he's after our hearts and he's willing to do whatever it takes Um, and to reevaluate and admit that this is not the way that we've been doing things is not the way that we should be doing them. Um, not all, you know, there's good, there's goodness in the things that we've done, but like to reevaluate, you know, how we see Jesus, how we see each other, you know, um, is, is huge. I mean, it is life changing. It's changed Jordan my life. It has like just in the past few months. I mean, I would, yeah, it's changed our lives. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've been there myself uh, earlier in March is kind of when I had that whole realization. So a lot of people think 2020 is the worst year of their lives. I've seen a lot of good come from it. Yeah, yeah. us Absolutely. too. Us too. Well, guys, um, for our listeners, I'm glad that you tuned in. Just keep your eyes on Jesus, the promised Messiah. He is the promised Savior, even in 2020. So don't forget, as they say, the reason for the season. I know that this holiday season is hard for a lot of people, but just keep in mind the real reason that we are celebrating this and meditate on that and find your Christmas joy in the fact that your Savior is here today for you and he has not left you or forsaken you and as for jordan and kira i want to thank you guys for joining me for my first ever podcast it was a great conversation and i hope it's been a blessing to you both i hope you and your family have a very safe and merry christmas thank you thank you for having us jordan and merry christmas to you and yours man 
Alright family, before I let you go, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope it was a blessing to you and that you'll be back next week. Whichever platform you're tuned in on, I hope that you'll subscribe. Also, if you'd like to get involved with this movement, again, email me at revivalistforchrist at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at rfchrist10. I know 2020 has been hard on a lot of us, but I also believe it's given us the most opportunity to shift our focus onto those things that are most important. I'm reminded of those memes on social media that say something along the lines of, are you seeing clearly in 2020? As we approach this Christmas season, this year may be full of tough decisions and separation between loved ones. I think it's important for us to take our eyes off what we think Christmas should be and place them on what Christmas is. It's not about the presents. It's not about the traditions. It's not even about being with family. It's about recognizing that the Savior who came 2,000 years ago is the same Savior today, even in 2020. No pandemic nor scheme of man will ever pluck you from his hands. While the world trembles in uncertainty, we can rest in his promises because we know how the story ends. We also saw that God is able to use all people to accomplish his will. With Matthew, we saw that Jesus called the least likely, those whose society would look down on. But when Jesus called him, he left everything behind and accepted this new lifestyle. We heard something similar in Jordan and Kira's testimony. I know for me, there have been periods in my life where I felt it hard to relinquish control because I felt I understood my purpose the most. However, the more control I took in my life, the more chaotic things got. Who knows the desires of our heart more than the one who gave us those desires in the first place? God has equipped you with everything you need to serve him well, your skills, your talents. What we all need to learn is that if we are seeking for a sense of purpose anywhere outside of the will of God, we won't find it. Our soul knows our purpose and longs after God. It's in Him we find our reason for being, and with that comes joy, satisfaction, and a sense of accomplishment. Also today we saw Jesus as the reconciler between us and God. Maybe you never realized that you needed to be reconciled with God. Maybe you did, but you just don't believe that you are good enough or that you're too far gone or lost in your sin that you may never be forgiven. Well, he comes bearing good news. He says, come just as you are. In him, you will find rest, deliverance, and salvation. And we saw today just how long-suffering God is and how faithful he was to those who rebelled against him for generations. Jesus brings you terms of peace. You no longer have to be at odds with God. What you need to understand is that just one sin of any kind is enough to separate you eternally from God. This eternal separation is what's known as hell, and it's where all things dwell eternally that are unholy. We are never going to be good enough to earn a place in heaven, but by God's grace, Jesus came to the earth and lived a perfect and sinless life. He then died on the cross to bear all the sins of the world and the wrath of God in place of you, becoming the perfect sacrifice for your sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave. 
Now whosoever believes in his blood atonement will trade their sin for his imputed righteousness and be seen as holy in the sight of God and inherit eternal life because he conquered death itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 is the gospel that saves. If you have any more questions about this, feel free to email me. Also, if you do not have a Bible, there are plenty of free ones online and through the App Store. If for whatever reason you are unable to get your hands on one, again, send me an email. I pray that you will be reconciled with God today. If you are somebody who already has been reconciled with God, then you know just how great that feels. I encourage you to look for areas in your life where you can be the reconciler. Maybe there is someone that you need to forgive, but you don't feel like they deserve it. Well, we didn't deserve God's forgiveness, but he gave it anyway. Maybe you want to forgive, but just can't. Go to God with that in prayer. There is no reason to let people who have hurt you in the past still hurt you today. The Bible says that you are only hurting yourself with your anger. Maybe you're the one who needs to apologize, but are too afraid of how the other person will react. You can only control your actions. Jesus knew he would not be accepted, but he still came as the promised Messiah. We should walk in the footsteps of his example. We are called to be peacemakers, and our world really needs some peace. 2020 has given me so much time to reconcile relationships, and I feel so much lighter because of it. Spiritually, of course. That quarantine weight gain is real, y'all. Also, if you're looking for a devotional exercise this week, take a look at that genealogy in Matthew again. Each of those names were included deliberately, so go back and read their story. Ask yourself, what did God reveal to them? It's the shorter of the two genealogies because Matthew excluded some generations, which was a pretty common practice among Jews. If you'd like to share what you found, again, email me or reach out on social media. You can even start a conversation with the hashtag devoted to Christ RFC. I will do the same and start next week's podcast with my findings. That will be next Thursday. Until then, remember, God can use anybody, and Jesus came to save everybody. Rest in his promises, and take care, family.